Good morning, audience, and welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. Glad to have you back joining us today. As always, we hope you're always listeners, nonetheless. Uh, today I have uh, a really interesting guy as my guest, a gentleman named Jim Demma. Welcome to the show, Jim. Uh, thank you very much, Kurt. For a little bit of background, I, I can't tell you how long I've known who Jim was. I, I think I knew who you were before you ever knew I was alive, um, because I've been licensed in Maryland since uh, you and I were talking before the show that I had moved here in the late 80s, and, and I got one of those almost giveaway licenses from the for the property line deal back in the day, and uh, started going to workshops and attending meetings, those kind of things. So I would, I would see you at those meetings, and then we became a little further acquainted later on. Um, and so for the audience, I, Jim and I have had conversations back and forth to see each other at meetings, that kind of thing. And uh, I thought Jim would be a great guest today to talk about uh, his background, some of his experiences, and, um, and the fact that he is a, I don't, do I call you an attorney surveyor or a surveyor attorney, Jim? I think for this purpose, we'll call my, I'll call myself, you can call me a surveyor attorney. Okay. Being a surveyor, that was my first uh, license, and I've been very proud to, to have obtained it. And so um, I'm a surveyor today. That's great. And But it's good to have you as a surveyor with, with the, some perspective from an attorney as well, particularly for our conversation, because... I'm sure you are aware, probably more so than any of us, that the the surveyor-attorney relationship, for whatever reason, doesn't always seem to be as great as it could be. And I don't know if that's because of misunderstandings or just I, I don't I don't really know to tell you the truth. <laughs> because my relationships when I've dealt with attorneys have always been pretty decent. So I'm not I'm not really sure what the what the issues are. Um, yeah, I think that I think oftentimes um, the attorneys expect. Too much from the surveyor. They they think that he can uh, the surveyor can provide more information than he really is allowed to provide. So there's oftentimes misunderstanding. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And and I do have to say I have encountered that probably more so uh, if I were doing things like a ALTA now NSPS survey. I, I guess you know we're coming out with new standards in February, and the title will now be ALTA NSPS. Uh, because of the merger of NSPS and ACM right. a while back. Um, and and I'd, I'd probably have to say that most of the misunderstandings I've had uh, have been remote ones. You know, if, if I'm working with somebody sort of close at hand, uh, there's a much better opportunity to have a, an actual conversation. But sometimes you get removed several people down the line, and uh, particularly on some of these ALTA things, because you're not necessarily dealing with local people. And maybe Maybe that's part of it. That is part of it, Kirk, for sure. So, tell us a little bit about 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 Jim. What what got you interested in surveying to begin with? How I became interested in that. Um, I always remember when I graduated from high school, as I tell people, a thousand years ago. But uh, it was back in 1958. Um, I wanted to work for the for the Forest Service, and a buddy of mine uh, went out on the highway day after graduation and hitchhiked all the way to Idaho. And telling you stories about that trip uh, would take up more time than we have, but we <laughs> made it to Idaho with our thumb, got a job with the National Forest Service, and um, 
worked the whole summer putting out fires and uh, climbing trees for pine cones to plant and building fences. It was a fabulous job for an 18-year-old guy. And uh, we were well taken care of. They fed us well. We had good accommodations, a good place to sleep. But it was a kind of a rigorous life. It was rough. Um, it was um, it was hard work, but it was really enjoyable. But in the forest of Idaho and in Montana, I met a number of uh, forest surveyors who were marking off lines um, for uh, the loggers to come in and cut the trees down. And I got very interested in these guys. And I think one of my fascination, fascinations with these guys was that they were um, they were out there getting a lot of exercise uh, and also using their brains at the same time. They just weren't uh, chopping down trees, but they were dealing with mathematics and trigonometry, of course, and geometry. And they're subjects I was always interested in. So I thought this is a great combination of a of, you know, profession. So when I had to hitchhike back to Maryland from Idaho in order to attend school at the University of Maryland, I was enrolled in the engineering program and um, took a lot of math courses, a lot of science courses. And then the next summer, I went out to find me a job for the summer with a land surveyor. And I got one after being very, very persistent with this one surveying firm in a place near where I lived and worked as a surveyor that summer. And it was just uh, thrilling to me. Uh, I was just fascinated by uh, how one marked off lines and how one turned angles and measured distances. And it was a fabulous summer for me. I went back to school, and the next summer I went back to the same firm and um, stayed really at that firm for 13 years thereafter, working part-time and full-time. And early in my career there, uh, they brought me into the office, and I started to learn how to compute boundaries and how to write deed descriptions and those kind of things, um, with, uh, plotting out easements and doing some title work and as I was doing that, I got to meet a lot of lawyers. Um, went to the courthouse often to copy deeds and to copy sketches and get prints of this and that. So I did get very uh, friendly with a number of real estate lawyers, title attorneys, and had a good um, uh, relationship with these guys. And I thought one time day, I said, you know, they're doing the same thing that you're doing. That is, they're preparing deeds, and I was preparing descriptions for deeds, and they're recording deeds and mortgages and stuff like that, and I was doing the same thing. And I thought, maybe I should be a lawyer. I mean, I, I was always fascinated by the law. I'm a, somewhat of a student of politics and government. And um, my grandmother especially, she just admired lawyers for some reason. Everybody doesn't admire lawyers as much as she did. And so I thought, yep, maybe I should just become a lawyer. And I enrolled at the University of Maryland School of Law after I graduated from college and um, got my degree. And later, not much later, but soon thereafter graduation, got a job with a very well-respected real estate law firm in a place called Rockfield, Maryland. And that's where I've been ever since. 
that's that's pretty uh, interesting to have stayed in one firm so long. I, I, and and you're a little older than I am. You you graduated from high school about eight years before me, but we're kind of the same era. And and thinking back to to that period of time and going through the process of trying to figure out how to go to school and learn the things you want to do. Um, it was kind of, and and then, you know, my father was a minister for a good part of his life, but also part of his life he he worked for the Virginia Department of Transportation, and and that was the only job he ever had, other than when he was a teenager, other than the ministry, and it seems as though people of my my parents here and your parents here seem to do those kind of things to stay in the same jobs for in the same place for a long time, and it seems like today's world that that's almost unheard of. No, it is unheard of. And in fact, um, going back a little bit more in my story, uh, I always remember um, this day because I had, um, as I said, graduated from law school and studied for the bar, for the Maryland bar, passed the Maryland bar the first time around, which in Maryland is kind of unusual. And uh, once I had uh, found out that I passed the bar, I was in the courthouse one day, and I was looking at these dusty, old, ancient records, and I looked across the counter, and a gentleman, a lawyer that I'd met, really a fine guy with a great reputation in the real estate world, we got to talking, and there was a coincidence. He was searching the same title that I was searching for different purposes, and I told him his name was Barry. Barry Fitzpatrick, and I said, Barry, I just um, passed the bar, and he looked at me, he said, I didn't know you were going to law school, I had failed to tell him that, (laughs) I said, yeah, I graduated from law school, took the bar, and just passed it, and he was, um, you know, gave me some compliments about that, the very next day, the very next day, his partner calls me up on the telephone, another lawyer that I knew. He said, Jimmy, here you just passed the bar. I said, yeah, I did, Pat. He said, you want a job? You want to come to work for my law firm? I said, yes. I didn't even think about it because in my mind, it's hard for you to believe maybe, but in thinking about where I wanted to go to work, this particular law firm was the only one I wanted to work for because the guys that I knew were just super good lawyers, had good personalities, about my same age. seemed like it would always be a good match. And so I thought, if I ever got around to applying to any for any job, I would apply there. But I never, I never had the time to apply to them because they offered me a job before I applied. And... Kurt, talking about the modern world, about getting jobs today, about how conscious people are of wage levels and benefits and everything, I never asked them how much they were going to pay me. I never asked them what their benefits were. I took the job, probably thinking about it for 10 seconds or less, because I knew they would take care of me. I went to work for them, and, and uh, here I am, really, basically in the same firm. It's gone through a lot of changes in management and everything, but it's still the same firm. And been happy every day with this firm. Um, I've had hard days, don't get me wrong, but um, most of the days have been pretty enjoyable working for this firm for over 40 years. And they've the, their home office has pretty much stayed in the same place, or at least in the same town, hasn't it? 
you know, their home offices in Baltimore, Maryland, and but they have branch offices around the state. And uh, I think the total number of lawyers in the firm, and I really don't know the total number in the firm, but it's certainly over 150. But I'm in a branch office of this firm, and uh, we have about 18, 19 lawyers here. Very nice bunch of guys, and when I say guys, I mean both men and women. And um, my specialty, of course, is in real estate. Um, but my office and the firm, and firm Y, they deal probably with every area of the law that you can possibly imagine. And so it's a good it's good support for me because in real estate matters, when I have maybe like an immigration problem, I can call somebody up and they can tell me what the law is. Or if I have a question about a corporate setup, I can call somebody and they can tell me uh, what it's all about. So it's, I, um, I hate to interrupt, Jim, but we are a few seconds away from our first break. I, I told okay. you we're going to go fast. So uh, let's go to that break, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Okay. Attention surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next-generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not... Get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for Quickstakes today. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.seanstedt.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back with Jim Demma today on the NSPS Radio Hour, and there are a lot of things that I had in mind to talk about as we were going through our conversation today, Jim, but the topic we were on there before we went to break is a really interesting one with regard to uh, sticking to something, um, you were talking about having had the same job for a really long period of time, and and I, I have kind of a parallel career in terms of what I've done. I haven't worked in the same place, obviously, all the same all the time. But I've been connected to serving pretty much all my life, and um, and it is a great, rewarding profession. Um, there's no question about that. And it's interesting that your your path. I, as you were telling your story from from getting out of high school and and talking about getting out to Idaho and back. You know, once again, I'm thinking 
but let's imagine fast forward to today's world how many people are going to start sticking their thumb out to go all the way across the country and then and then back that's that's pretty amazing it was of course like you say time times were different then of course um but uh still still lots of issues to be uh to be addressed and you you talked about passing the bar the first time my surveying audience is going to say that's because he was a surveyor he he already had the mentality for <laughs> So I don't that's, know. That's 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 going to be the the comments I get back from my audience now. That that's that's exactly. the only reason you could have passed it on on the first shot. But uh, but it was it was a stressful time because I had um you know I was working, I had a family. I was had, was married. I had one child. And the uh, thing about it is, and I've thought about this often. I don't think I could do that today because it took so much of my energy. Um, to, to go to work every day, to go to school whenever I could fit it in, to study as hard as I studied, and then to take the bar um, and pass it like I did. Um, I just do not think I could do it today. And then putting in my surveyor's hat again here, I remember this, that uh, well, I was halfway through law school, and the thought, occurred to me, well, maybe I ought to get my surveyor's license. So I looked at the statute, and it seemed like I had maybe enough um, qualifications or credits or whatever in, in order to sit for the examination, and I applied, and they accepted me. And um, I remember this. During my whole time at law school, I only took off two days. One had to do with a traffic problem, and the other had to do with a riot that broke out in the city. So I only missed two days, and uh, actually a third day, because the third day I took off was a, a Friday, I remember, to study for the land surveyor's examination. <laughs> and so with one day of study, I took the examination um, on a Saturday and um, managed to pass that exam and became in Maryland with the call a professional land surveyor, and so I got my license while I was uh, attending law school. That, I guess at least you were in the studying mode. So, you know, so many people, and particularly back in, in those days, and, and I, I don't know if Maryland, I assume Maryland was like Virginia at that time, that there wasn't a degree requirement for the surveyor's license. Um, although I, I know a lot of people had degrees, but... right, um, right. But that whole process of the what I call the internship um, that everybody had gone through and still do go through to some degree. I mean, it's not as long now because of the surveying education people can get. But back in the days when you and I were both looking at that, I'm not sure what what year you were licensed, but uh, 1970. So you preceded me by that to that in ten years, and and I <laughs> so would make part of that. Sound so old here. <laughs> Well, not not so much age, but in terms of, right. of right. the in my in my case, I I had some college. I didn't have a degree, and of course, working that longer period of time before you were eligible, and uh, and trying to do the studying. So that's pretty laudable to be able to uh, to do that all while you're studying for the going to law school uh, as well. And then you're you're you have a, a BA from Maryland as well, right? I do. I do, but you know, in our, it seems like that our paths have crossed yours and mine through. I think the the 
educational um, aspects of our profession. And I was fortunate again to um, have gotten involved with um, not not long thereafter, after I became a member of the bar and went to work for this fine law firm, somebody um, corralled me to give a couple of lectures on land surveying or boundary control or the legal aspects of land surveying. And I uh, did that, and I think that I've been busy ever since. It seems like every year I, I give a number of lectures and attend seminars and workshops on on the legal aspects of land surveying, and I teach a course at Catonsville Community College. And I have to tell you, there's an adage about teaching, where in the teacher really learns more from the student, oftentimes, than the student learns from the professor or the teacher, and that's absolutely true. And and it's really helped me in my career being a teacher, uh, either in a seminar or at a uh, at a credit uh, college. Like some of the other community colleges, some of the students over at Catonsville are actually working, right? I mean, they're, they're oh, working yeah, they're and all serving, working. and then, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also, what it's done for me is that these students, they, um, they pursue a path of, for their education, and most of them ultimately get licensed. And so today, uh, uh, I know any number of young men and women who are working for some fine land surveying and engineering firms who who are licensed and who again they were students of mine and so I have this um, great advantage I think I'll have to say that with any problem I have or any help that I need with a survey or with a title or anything dealing with a, a boundary, um, probably in the entire state of Maryland, I can call somebody up and talk to them on a first-name basis uh, because they were my student and uh, I helped them in any way that I could to get them uh, their license. And so it's been a wonderful arrangement, I think, in being not only a lawyer but a, a teacher also in teaching guys and who are now are licensed and working for some very prominent engineering land surveying firms. You know, that's one of the things I've always um, liked about the surveying profession as well, is that the camaraderie, whether it's with people local to you or, or not. And of course, in the job that I'm in, I get to meet people all over. And But it's just really fantastic if somebody calls you up and says, I've got some work that needs to be done in yeah. some particular area of the country, and, and you, you have a relationship and and I don't know if that's some somehow or somewhat unique to surveying or not, but it seems to ha- we seem to have that connection with each other that isn't apparent in in other professions. It may exist. It, I, I don't know. I, don't I think you're right. Can I tell you one short story about um, that relationship that I'm kind Absolutely. of proud of? And I had this boundary. I was handling this boundary dispute in one of our uh, one of the counties in southern Maryland. It was a very intriguing boundary dispute dealing with overlapping deeds and and uh, nothing seemed to fit. Any surveyor will understand what I mean when I say nothing seemed to fit. And the history of it went back a number of years into the uh, 19th century. In any case, I was forced to file a lawsuit to quiet the title to this property. And the trial eventually came up on the docket, and I went down to um, argue the case. It was a three-day trial. And 
the witnesses, the expert witnesses on the other side, the surveying expert witnesses were all students of mine. And of course, my expert witnesses had been students of mine too. And uh, there was a certain, there's a certain gentleman in Maryland, I'll give his name, if anybody out there is listening might know him, is Herbie Redman in Southern Maryland. And he was the expert for the other side. And his testimony was very good. And uh, I'm sure that Herbie anticipated every question I was going to ask him, and I anticipated every answer that he gave. And so it was it was just a good, um, pleasant um, courtroom day. You see on television, most uh, days in the courtroom are just full of arguments and shouting and everything, but it wasn't like that because we had this camaraderie. And Herbie... When Herbie's testimony was finished, he stepped down from the witness chair, and he came over to me, and he hugged me, because <laughs> he was just so glad to see me, because we have so, so many things to talk about of our past history together. And, I, and the judge looks, and I'm not quite sure what he thought with this encounter that I had with the, with the opposite party's expert witness. I'm not too sure what the opposite, opposing attorney thought either, but it was that camaraderie. That we yeah. knew each other well, we got along well, we were in the same profession, and we understood each other perfectly. That was the other thing. We we, we had this sense of understanding with each other. Um, it was it was a pretty good moment, I'll have to tell you, and I think it does get back to um, uh, how the profession that we picked as land surveyors. Is, uh, I think it's a unique profession where we try to get along, and we try to help each other, and we try to... Um, just to be um, just pleasant, I think. I think so, too, and, and I've always found that in most situations where if there's a difference of opinion or whatever, we're usually able to sit down and talk through that. Absolutely. And, and, and share information rather than try the one-upsmanship that you see sometimes no. in other environments. But, I mean, part, uh, part, of my, part of my practice has to do with uh, quieting titles and these boundary disputes. And oftentimes a prospective client will come in to see me and, and give me all of the particulars, and they have this attitude that, well, I want you to go in there and demo and tear their face off. You know, we want to do everything possible to, to bury them in the ground. And I say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to sit down. We're going to try to talk this out because... There's always a solution if reasonable minds uh, can get together on the subject. Um, nothing's necessarily black and white. As we always say, what, Kurt, the surveying is not an exact science, first of all. Exactly. And there's a, there's a couple of answers to all of these situations. And usually by mediation, by just by compromise, um, you can get these problems solved without going into the courtroom, which is really a place that you want to avoid, not only for the time but for the money. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I know we're going to have to go to break here in about a minute, but um, there's a group of folks I've been talking with who, and some, a couple of which are attorneys, actually, one of them is out in the state of Washington, has kind of come up with this idea that there ought to be a way to create a, a category or some status for surveyors to be mediators in situations and, and be problem solvers rather than pointing out problems and leaving them to somebody else because surveyors are the people who, probably know more about what's going on evidence-wise than anybody else, and uh, we have that opportunity. And so I, I don't know if, if that would ever work out or not, but it certainly seems as though we individually should strive to, to fit that role, uh, even if it's not official, but to 
to be one trying to help people solve their problems rather than just pointing out their differences. So no, you're maybe we can pick up right. on it. Maybe we can pick up on that a little bit when we uh, when we come back from this next break. Okay. So let's let's go do that, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Getting into underground utility location? If so, you'll want to know about the Schoenstatt Instrument Company's MPC kit, a multi-purpose combo for locating both ferrous objects and underground pipes and cables. And because it consists of two instruments in one package, it qualifies for trading allowances on two locators. Any kind, any make, any condition. Contact your dealer for details. Or visit www.shonstat.com. That's S-C-H-O-N-S-T-E-D-T dot com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800 800- Four three eight zero three eight seven, or go to quickstake.com. That's q u i k s t a k e dot com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. There's a couple of things, Jim, that came up at the end of our, our last segment there that I wanted to touch on. One of them is, is, is selfish on my part, so you, you bear with me on this piece of it. Um, we're going to be holding a, a conference next spring in, uh, in Arlington, we had a surveying and mapping conference down there last time, and this this time we're going to offer a couple of workshops. And our friend Gary Kent, who's the head of our ALTA and SPS standards group, is going to do a session on the 2016 version, which is is out now, but doesn't take effect till February. But he's also going to do a mock trial, and he's done a bunch of those things around different parts of the country. And when he comes in, he's always looking for real attorneys and real judges to to help you know, play those roles in the mock trial. So if it's all right with you, I might have him contact you to give him some suggestions or or maybe even you'd be interested in participating in it to uh, to get some local folks to participate in that in that mock trial. Those are always interesting oh. to do. I don't know if you've ever done one of those. Oh, yeah, I've, I've done a number of them, and they are a lot of fun. They're very interesting, and I'd be happy to help you, Kurt. Okay, I appreciate it. No that. problem at all, no problem. Um, before, before we move on... Um, before we went to the break, you were talking about, or we were talking about mediation, and and during the break, you and I chatted a little bit, and you mentioned a, um, a tactic, if that's the right word, called settlement conferences that 
kind of leads to that mediator thing. And maybe you could talk about that a little bit and help people grasp the concept that that's a good idea and it's possible to do. Um, I think with any type of, uh, actually any aspects of the law, uh, I think going to court to have a full-blown trial, I think, is just ridiculous, if truth be known, because um, the better way to solve problems is around a table when uh, you can discuss openly and freely um, what the situation is all about, and you can bring in your expert witnesses at that time. And with any type of a boundary dispute that I might be handling, uh, I always endeavor to get all the parties together and bring in their experts also so that can be discussed because you know the world of surveying is 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 not that well understood if truth be known by many many lawyers that probably this listening audience knows that already and not to be disparaging of um, the judges in our various courts um, most of them, many of them, really have had little exposure to boundary disputes, uh, deed conflicts. So they're sitting on the bench to be educated, uh, and sometimes um, they don't quite get uh, what the what the nut of the problem is all about. So the better way to try to resolve an issue is not necessarily going to trial, where the rules of evidence and the rules of procedure are pretty strict. But around a table in a comfortable office with somebody serving you coffee and soft drinks and maybe feeding you lunch, you can openly discuss what the issue is without worrying about the strict rules of evidence. And uh, it's a great opportunity to settle the issue, certainly with a compromise, unless all these cases have to have some degree of compromise to them. Because as Kurt and I, we were talking just a little earlier that with um, boundary disputes, certainly in Maryland, I'm sure around the country, we're trying to find um, maybe the intention of the parties as to where a boundary line should be, but that intention might go back to the 16 or 17 or 1800s when instruments weren't that uh, weren't that sophisticated, when uh, people really didn't take as much time in drafting documents. Um, and we're trying we're trying to solve a situation that was created a couple hundred years ago, and there might not be a, a real answer to that dispute. It's a dispute that has to be compromised with reasonable people, and the courtroom's not the place to do it. It has to be done when people are in, in more of a friendly uh, atmosphere, and when experts in, can come in and say exactly what they did and how they did it, and why it was so difficult, and. Uh, I'm always looking for that kind of a compromise, and the litigants, the people that I represent, and the people that are on the other side being represented, they come around to understanding that, that there is no black and white to these situations, that uh, things have to be um, negotiated. Uh, and it's a great way of saving time, it's a great way of saving money, and usually people go away somewhat happy with a some kind of a compromise where in court somebody wins and somebody loses and so the winner he's happy the loser he's not happy and uh, it's, it's just a better way to solving these disputes between usually neighbors and it seems sometimes and I haven't spent a lot of time in courts but it it seems sometimes the the approach there um 
doesn't lend itself to to that type of situation. I mean, there's not at all. Everybody's watched, everybody's watched too much Perry Mason or or whatever. Well, maybe I'm dating myself here. Perry Mason, no, no, but, no. but all these legal even. <laughs> <laughs> all these legal shows where you know there's a there's a finite answer. Somebody gets whacked and somebody else doesn't, and uh, and, no. and it's not necessarily always occurring, uh, particularly on the land boundary side. Um, to whatever, what you know, everybody's got their own opinion of the evidence, or you wouldn't be there to start with, right? So. I mean, again, I'm not going to give any names out on this one for sure, but I had a a, a trial a couple of years ago where there was a disputed boundary. Actually, it was, I think it was a disputed easement, a driveway. And it seems like in my county, maybe in your area of the world, Kurt, that everybody's arguing over some driveway and how it can be used and where the driveway is located. And, and uh, three times I had to get up from my council chair and walk up to the bench to help the judge turn the survey around to show him or her where North was. <laughs> um, it's a little humorous, I think, but at the same time it shows the lack of um, a real deep-down knowledge about what a survey is all about. Uh, it's because the judges today, although they're very well-educated, very well-schooled, very smart people, surveying is a very, very narrow area of the practice of law. And I always tell my students, and it might be a slight exaggeration, that in law school, all the hours I spent in law school, all the books that I read, probably we spent uh, uh, about maybe a half an hour, I'm going to say, on dealing with issues of descriptions and deeds in the doctrine of adverse possession. Yeah, all the hours I spent in law school on commercial law and domestic relations and criminal law, all those subjects probably a half an hour was spent on where I have been practicing for 40 years and earning a living from. Wow. That puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, and, <laughs> and I think it answers a lot of uh, concerns or questions surveyors have with regard to you're going into a situation where you know, the varying sides have their attorneys, and, and they really don't have any idea, the attorneys, I mean, in, in a lot of cases, don't really have any idea about what you're actually talking about in terms of the survey side of things. And, 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 the, and the lawyers, I have to say, they're, they're eager to be um, <clears throat> advised about surveying principles. That is, a lawyer might take on a case, favorite client's giving him a case to handle, and he needs to be educated also. And in our line of work, Kurt, it's the surveyor that has to provide that education um, mm -hmm. prior to the trial for sure because it's a it's a science it's that we practice and it's not the, the scientific principles of surveying are not known by every judge and every lawyer out there yeah i would think with the the era we're living in now and it's only going to get more strong in this way i don't i guess with the availability of gis information and handheld gps units it seems to me that opens up a lot of doors for even more uh litigation between neighbors because People have equipment, but they don't really know what it's doing, and they make assumptions based on whatever they happen to see. I don't know if you're seeing any of that yet. No, no, I have seen, because it, it's, a, it's a difficult concept to explain. That is, you know, I've got this deed, I paid a lot of money for this house, and I paid a lot of money in settlement charges, and I've got a deed that says my 
sideline is 200 feet long, and now your surveyor is telling me the line is only 199 feet long. How is that possible? Well, you and me and all the surveyors listening, we know why it's possible. But to the average person out there, to the average lawyer out there, he's going to have a hard time understanding how come the deed says 200 feet. And uh, this survey that you paid a lot of money for says it's 199 feet. It's a matter of continuing education. I feel like that's the business I'm in every day of my life is educating on a continuous basis what the art of surveying is all about. Yeah, and the, and you get the opportunity to do that on a daily basis, where on a daily basis have to go to continuing education classes every so often. But yep. but in reality, um, you know, the surveyor out in the field is kind of in that business too, um, and oftentimes they don't get listened to because they're not saying what people want to hear. Uh, but it is part of our job, I think. And you know, it is. I've said this on the radio before. One of the things that drew me to the surveying profession was watching my dad as a as a minister interact with people and help them solve their problems and it was obvious I wasn't going to do that but this gave me an opportunity to do it in a way of doing things I like to do um, right. not evangelically of course but right. but just trying to help people solve their problems and and I think that's important for surveyors to to have that mindset that you know we're not Well out yeah there. because it's been written about often about the surveyor having really some quasi judicial responsibilities out there and I always try to tell my students, um, and the students might be people in the field, you know, the party chief or um, the people measuring lines, and also the, the guys working in the office who are computing uh, and reestablishing a boundary, that you always have to keep focused in on what, how will a circuit court judge someday view the situation? That is, I have to make, or at least the people I'm talking to, they have to make decisions that can be justified in a courtroom procedure someday. Hopefully not, not ever. You hope that none of this is ever brought into uh, into a, a judicial setting. But you always have to keep in mind, how would a judge sitting on the bench decide this issue how what is the law about this subject that I'm dealing with about how to measure a line or how to interpret a deed or a will because someday again you hope it doesn't happen but the ultimate the acid test is how would a judge in a black robe view this situation so therefore you have to put your yourself in, in that judge's brain and know something about the law and something of course to know about the mechanics of land surveying Absolutely. And believe it or not, here we are 30 seconds from our last break. Um, maybe when we come back we can talk a little bit about uh, the whole limitation of liabilities thing that Maryland just recently got a, a repose statute and many other states don't have those. But that, okay. that kind of lends itself to what you were talking about, this sort of forever type situation. You have to be thinking way ahead because somewhere down the line that might happen. So maybe when we come back we can uh, touch on that a little bit. Okay. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? 
Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. This is one of those days, Jim, where I'm having so much fun. I hate that this is our last segment. Um, it's, it's just so great to be talking to you about all these issues, and I know my the audience same. is enjoying this as well. And one of the things we were touching on there, you were talking about surveying and thinking down the road for what we're going to do. And I, I want to get to the, the question about other areas of law that you practice in, but maybe just for a second we can talk a little bit about the whole uh, limitation of liabilities, uh, statutes of repose and, and that kind of thing. And as I'd said before the break, I know Maryland just passed one. I can't remember the number. I think it's maybe seven years or something like that. But a lot of a lot of states don't have that at all. They have limitations, but it's after discovery. Yeah, it's a it's a um, subject that is is on the. Uh, that every surveyor talks about all the time, and I'm sure doctors are frightened to death all the time of being sued, but it seems like surveyors are extra nervous about some liability suit against them. And actually, there aren't that many suits out there against surveyors. Um, But I know that uh, ever since I first uh, went to work for a surveying company, liability was a, a topic they talked about often. And when I first became a surveyor, um, and getting into um, the laws of survey, I want to kind of just say this one thing. That is, and I'm sure a lot of surveyors out there will resonate with this, with this comment, that I learned to do most everything I did as a practicing surveyor because my boss told me how to do it. And my boss told me what the law was. And my boss told me this. I'll have to tell you, Kurt, most of the, t- most of the time they were wrong. Um, and so I figured out this, and I said I want to get, I want to find out what the true answer is. I want to find out what the what the legal principle is, and that's really what got me into probably one of the reasons wanting to be a lawyer and doing so much lecturing and uh, teaching, because I got into the really to the bare bones of what the law is all about, and that's and for forty some years I've been. Um, Expounding on what the law is about, uh, but your question was um, really on the liability issue, 
And so when I first became a surveyor, a surveyor, if he made a mistake, now we all make mistakes, and one of my bosses said that's why they put erasers on the end of pencils, because we all make mistakes. But if we make a mistake that it takes it to the actual level of negligence and we could be sued, when I first became a surveyor, there was no... uh, there was really not a good statute of limitations for that. You could be sued like 40 or 50 or 60 years later if you lived to be that old. In Maryland, like in most states, um, there is a statute where it says that from the time of discovery, uh, that person has three years in which to file a lawsuit. Now, again, I'm, I'm speaking to a wide audience here, but the statute could be different in your own jurisdiction. It could be two years or three years or five or seven years. I don't know. But from the time of discovery, the general law seems to be three years, and that goes back to a statute enacted in England in 1621. But if the, if the issue is not discovered, then... It could go on forever that somebody might not discover your era for, again, like 20, 30, 35 years. And so I kind of put my arms around that problem and went to the state legislature of Maryland with some help from others. And we got a so-called statute of repose enacted. And this is what Kurt's talking about. That is, if the era has not been discovered within 20 years, you're home free. It doesn't matter. You made the biggest mistake ever known to man. They have to discover it within 20 years, and if they can't discover it within 20 years, then you're home free again. I went back to the state legislature a few years later and got that reduced to 15 years. And then more recently, I went back to the state legislature and got that 15-year period reduced to 10 years. And so the Maryland statute of repose is 10 years, meaning that you have three years, once you discover the error to file a lawsuit, but at the same time, if that error has not been discovered within 10 years, again, you're home free. And it's a wonderful, wonderful statute. It's taken away so much um, consternation and worry among my Maryland surveyors. And as I understand, not every state has such a statutory pose, but... Um, I would certainly advocate it as a, as a land surveyor in Maryland that every state try to persuade their state legislature to enact such a statute. Yeah, our neighbors over in West Virginia just got that last year, and we've we, in Virginia we've not been able to accomplish it yet, but uh, we still still are trying. That's for sure. And the, and the one footnote to that I would say is that surveyors then ask me this question all the time. Okay, Jimmy, then I can get rid of all my files at the end of 10 years. The answer to that is no. I know how expensive it is to keep files in in, in storage, but when that 10-year period goes by, maybe somebody files a lawsuit against you in 15 years, you still have to go back to your file to prove the dates when the last work was done on that job. And so my homily to the surveyors is don't get rid of those records. Scan them if you can, if you can afford to do that. But just because 10 years goes by, uh, you still need to keep those records. Well, we had a great conversation about your your practice and your connection to surveying and, and what have you. But at, being an attorney, I'm assuming you have other areas you practice in as well. Well, I, I do. Um, under Maryland law, and it might, might not be the same for every jurisdiction, but once you're licensed, you are licensed to practice in any area of the law that 
there is, except for, as I remember, uh, copyright and patent law. That's a, they're, they're really specialized areas. But everything else dealing with domestic relations or criminal work or commercial uh, transactions even, um, that I'm licensed to do that. And I will say that my firm in my early years, they gave me um, a lot of freedom to get into all of those areas. And I've tried domestic cases either for divorce or for alimony for ch- or for visitation rights. I've tried cases um, in many, many areas of the law outside of pure real estate, certainly with wills and trusts. But that is, all of those areas of the law have really helped me in dealing with real estate matters, because when you think about it, real estate matters deal with all of those issues. It deals with um, husbands and wives getting divorces, and they own the property together, and all of a sudden they're fighting like cats and dogs with each other, and how does that affect the title to the property? Or or wills and estates, that certainly affects the title to property. So I understand as much as I can understand about uh, how a trust might affect the title to property. Uh, so that early um, um, introduction to all the areas of the law has really helped me with my real estate practice. And I'll have to say just another thing that I often say that um, I think that um, so many people in real estate today don't have that broad of a background. And I think it gets in their way sometimes of understanding the overall problem in a real estate transaction. They don't have that experience with domestic law or even sometimes the criminal law or estates and trusts and items like that. So I got a pretty good bit of knowledge when I first started practicing law because they allowed me to kind of venture out into other areas. It's not really highly recommended today, I'll have to say, because the law has become more specialized and... um, Sometimes it's kind of foolish to go off the reservation, so to speak, in some area that you're not that comfortable with. But I managed to get that comfort level um, a lot of years ago, and it still has done me well as a practicing real estate lawyer. And that's I can see where that kind of focus uh, fits well with your mentality as a surveyor, too, because you know, our whole our whole thought process is to try to look at the big picture and look down the road and you know, look at look at all the ramifications that may come, and, and it's interesting to hear you talk about the, you know, the whole uh, the other aspects of law and how that can be affected by by uh, issues related to real estate. Um, we all have those issues as in our wills, obviously, but not sure we give them a, as much thought as we might need to sometimes. But the other thing I would say, given this forum, is that. In, in writing documents today, and I think I've kind of touched on it already, but in writing documents today, whether it be a, a mortgage or a deed or some kind of a real estate contract or an easement agreement or anything like that, and with respect to surveyors, as they're doing their boundary surveys or their location drawings or whatever the surveyor work product is, I think one of the big things to keep in mind is how will somebody understand or read this document 50 years from now or or 70 or 80 years from now when I'm long gone and they can't call me up to ask me what I really meant by the words in that document. And so that thought is always in my mind. How will somebody interpret 
my document or as a surveyor interpret my survey many, many years after I'm long gone. And I think if you focus in on that, you can really produce a better work product. Because yeah, when, you're would... work, when you're working on your drafting table at your desk, you understand everything that's going on. It's, it's, it's all contemporary knowledge. But a year from now, five years from now, 15 years from now, somebody might not know exactly what you did. And it's so easy to kind of get caught up in our own thinking process where it's all very obvious to us, um, yeah. you know, in our own mind. And so we uh, we sometimes don't think about relaying that information in a way that the next person who's going to use it is able to draw from our conclusions. And a stranger we're, we're, to use, somebody you've right. never heard of before, somebody Believe might not, not be born. Believe it or not, we're a minute and a half out from oh. our show being over today, and it's gone really fast. So I want to make sure I take enough time to thank you for being with me. It's been a delightful conversation, and I really appreciate you you joining me today. It's been really insightful no, no. for me, and I'm sure for my audience as well. Yeah, I really appreciate this op- opportunity, Kurt. This has been really nice. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to have folks in who have a, a not a different perspective necessarily, but in your case, a uh, a two-pronged perspective to all of the stuff that we do as as surveyors, and uh, we're I'm looking forward to uh, to the next time I get to come to one of your sessions. That that will be fun. And yeah. Mer- and since we all have to have continuing education now, we want to have those, right? <laughs> so, That's right. But it, but again, thank you so much. Um, I hope that we can find some time and and talk again, and maybe have you come back on the show. Maybe uh-huh. some really interesting case will come up that yeah. that you'd like to share with everybody. Okay, and thank you for the opportunity, Kirk. I really appreciated this. It's been great, and so I can't let you go just yet. We have a few more seconds left, so I don't want to to uh, go back to the station too quickly. Um, but can um, I plug? Something I, I will for call a you back on the. I, pardon me. Can I plug something for a second? Yeah, sure. We got twenty seconds. Yeah. Twenty. Yeah, there's a, a lecture uh, that's going to be given. I'm a part of it, and it's going to be at Gallaudet College in Washington D.C. on November the sixth on party wall law, party oh, cool. wall law, which is a very uh, <laughs> it's a subject that uh, before I got into it, I didn't know much about it. Now I seem to know a little bit more, and it's a very very interesting topic. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Jim. Okay, thank you again. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.